This week on Behind the Idea, I speak with Seeking Alpha author Thomas Lott about an idea of his which comes out tomorrow on Seeking Alpha. The idea is a long Dell thesis. Dell is a name that comes with a reputation for a shareholder unfriendly behavior, but Thomas explains why this time might be different with management. These are really smart guys, and they were smart enough to figure out how to pick up DVMT from from those holders at a very large discount. And the, the good news is we're actually now on the same side of the negotiating table with, with Michael Dell and, and Silver Lake. The story here is less about Dell, though, and more about VMware, which Thomas points out is just a great business. The VMware business is in that top 100, right? I mean, it's compounded earnings at 19% over 15 years, which is incredible when you think about it. They have a near monopoly in their business, right? And generate piles of free cash. And they never do acquisitions. They don't need to. They own the market, right? Still, we have a sum of the parts story here and a CEO in Michael Dell who has drawn a lot of criticism from investors over the past few years. Does that make a case like this too hard? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. Mike Taylor is out this week and next, though don't worry, listeners, he'll be back soon. In the meantime, we're doing something special as we're digging into an idea that has not yet hit the main page of Seeking Alpha. We're looking at Dell, the personal computer giant, which returned to the public markets last year after five years in the private wilderness, where it bought itself out, it bought EMC out, and then it bought out its own tracker of its stake in VMware. The company trades cheaply, and per Seeking Alpha author and today's guest, Thomas Lott, that discount won't be around forever. In a Seeking Alpha Pro Plus top idea that will come out tomorrow as you listen to this, Lott argues that the company is cheap on a standalone basis, trading at a 12% plus 2020 free cash flow yield. But what will really unlock the value, in his view, is a spin-out of the 81% VMware stake embedded in Dell, which could happen in the fall of 2021. For what sounds like a legacy tech company, the triple-digit upside that Lot is suggesting is available here is really considerable. So the question that that begs is, is this too good to be true? And does this complexity lead to opportunities or headaches? So I'll ask Tom today on today's Behind the Idea. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investing analysis work. We take ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem and break them down either between ourselves or with guests. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. I have no positions in any stocks we plan to discuss, though for what it's worth, my brother works at Dell. Tom is long Dell. I'll also just disclose quickly, I've been a big fan of Tom's work since starting as an editor at Seeking Alpha in 2012. And in my non-behind-the-idea work at the company, I'm working with Tom on the launch of a pending marketplace service, Free Cashflow Compounders. So just for what it's worth, I'm really excited to have him on. So Tom, welcome to Behind the Idea. Great. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. So just walk us through, this isn't out yet on the free site. So just what's the quick summary of your thesis here for Dell? Sure, sure. Uh, it's really at its core, a, a very simple sum of the parts story, uh, as we've seen in many cases before. In fact, some of my writers before, uh, like Fox and Vodafone, which were huge winners and had businesses held within those that ultimately were unlocked by a management team that sold them. So with, with Dell, Dell Technologies, as you mentioned, they started trading at the end of last year under the ticker DELL. 
There's really three pieces of value here, and I'll go through them quickly. There's the kind of core computer business, which most people, when they think of Dell, uh, is 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 what that that is. It's PCs and laptops. It's it's about 20, a little over twenty percent of the company's EBIT, so it's probably much smaller than people suspect. It's a skinny margin. It's a difficult business. They compete with the likes of Hewlett Packard, and and margins are are razor thin. That's the first part of the business. The second part is the EMC storage asset that they bought in 2016. That's about 47% of the company's EBIT. It's a good business. They do 10 to 12% margins. They compete with Cisco and NetApp. They are the number one storage company, however, and it's it's a good hardware business and has plenty of growth uh, last year and, and going forward. The third piece of the business and the most valuable piece here, and really the crown jewel, is, is their stake in VMware. Dell owns... Eighty uh, percent of the uh, VMware uh, company, twenty. The other twenty percent is publicly floated right now, and it trades a little around one seventy-eight today. And if you do the math on what each of these pieces is worth, just the VMware stake alone, using a hundred and seventy-eight dollar price, gets you about seventy-nine dollars per share for Dell. So you have a fifty-five dollar stock whose kind of main asset is is worth seventy-nine. The other two businesses, if you add up what they're worth, and you know, I use kind of a Hewlett Packard multiple for for Dell, and and uh, you know, a NetApp and Cisco multiple for the storage business, that adds about another eight and nine dollars respectively. So seventy nine plus that seventeen gets you kind of in the ninety five range, but perhaps as high as a hundred dollars. So at fifty five, you're really creating this at a, a kind of a forty percent plus discount to the sum of the parts, which is quite wide just for some of the part discount. Stories. These are typically twenty percent discounts, is what people usually throw on a whole co. I'm not sure why it's so large, but I think that's part of the opportunity. And really, the key with any some of the part stories, as you mentioned kind of earlier, is that you need to realize them. You need a management team that's going to go out and actually either sell an asset or a business to to get that value realized for your public shareholders. And in this case, you have uh, Silver Lake and Michael Dell, who together own. Almost all, it's, it's, it's like almost all of Dell. They own 76% combined. I think Michael Dell's around 55 and Silver Lake, the other 20% or so. And, you know, Silver Lake's a private equity firm. And I'm more than 100% certain that Silver Lake will monetize this asset. And they're converting their shares, by the way, from B shares to C shares, which are the publicly traded shares that I own and you can trade in the market. They're converting to the same share class we own. So, I'm 100% certain that they will want to monetize this. And the way that's going to come about, in my opinion, is probably a tax-free spinoff of the VMware business. And and that's possible in September 2021, which is five years from the acquisition date of EMC by Dell. You can't spin off an asset in under five years on a tax-free basis. So in September 2021, which is only a couple of years away, plus a couple of months, I think you have a good chance to collapse that discount and not only that, you have a great business in VMware. We can talk about this more later, but VMware is what I call a cash flow compatibility. It's just a super business model. They have a fantastic growth rate in terms of earnings and, and uh, revenue growth. Their balance sheet has been debt-free its entire life. They didn't lose money in 08 or 09. It's just a very well-run company. Uh, and their market share is something like 76% in virtual solution software. They own the market. So they, they will be around for a long time and they've got years of growth ahead of it. So I'm, I'm kind of very happy to be long, long Dell to be long indirectly VMware. So that's kind of the basic thesis there.
Okay. There's a lot to kind of go into it. I think especially sort of the, some of the parts and the mechanics and just sort of the reputation that sort of idea has will be worth breaking down. But I guess just to go into some of the part, sorry, not, not intended pun, but to go into the parts here, the VMware sort of, like you said, it is the crown jewel here. It sits at the heart of the thesis. This is going to be a little bit of a dense question because of course, if you can get that for cheaper, that's great. But Given the complexity around it, like what would keep you from what would keep you from just owning VMware outright? Like, is it is there any argument to be made that just get it simpler, ignore the sort of any of the time that you have to wait or anything else? Is there any argument here for just own VMware, be happy with a great company, like you said? I, you know, I, in my opinion, as I've done the math, it just makes so much more sense to buy Dell and own it kind of indirectly because I think you can own it directly in the future. And uh, you really get paid to own it indirectly too, right? I, you know, in cases like this, and I've heard people say that, they're like, well, I'll just own VMware because I don't really like the computer or the storage business that much. And, and that's a fair comment. But they're really not much, you're really getting them for free if you own Dell, right? Uh, that's one thing. But I, I kind of, when I see these situations, I really call them, I call it complexity arbitrage, right? I mean, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, a lot of people just aren't willing to kind of do the work and dig in and understand the math behind what a whole co owns. And, or if they do, they say, yeah, but you can't realize it. Um, and in this case, I'd rather capture that 45%, 40, 45% some of the parts discount in addition to the growth in VMware over the next couple of years. But yeah, sure. I mean, if you if you buy VMware today and their stock's trading kind of 24 times next year's earnings and they're doing 650 in EPS roughly, and I think that number goes to $9 to $10 over the next three years or so, you could own that and you put this a similar multiple on it, you can make 30 to 40%. But if you own Dell, you can, uh, in a spinoff situation in two and a half years, you can, if... VMware ends up being kind of in the 250 range from 180 today, you know, you can make much more, right? You can double your money in Dell from 55 to, to getting, you know, 125 to 130. So I, I like that trade. And, and uh, I, I, you know, that's, that's, I guess that's my argument. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the discount is important. So maybe looking at some of the other aspects though, too, that you're getting with this, I'm thinking about EMC, which, I I used to own before before the acquisition by Dell, but just I remember it was always this sort of legacy company that still had good growth numbers, but traded at something like a twelve to fifteen PE. Not you know in in this mm-hmm. decade, not super exciting mm-hmm. either way. And Dell obviously went private in part because of the headwinds around the PC business and Michael Dell kind of opportunistically took it private so that they wouldn't have to deal with the pressures of the market and so he could make money. But you, you, like you pointed out, there's a 40% discount where usually you see a 20% discount in a hold co. I don't know. Is there anything, I, I'm, I might come at this in a couple of different ways, but I'm just curious if you'd see like from your research, from talking to other people in the industry, like what would drive such a wider, is it really just the complexity or what would drive a wider discount here? I, you know, a wider discount, I, I struggle seeing much more than about 45%, honestly, which is where DVMT traded at its widest. And I don't think it even got to 50%. Of course, with, with DVMT, 
you had a very tangential, it was a tracking stock, which meant basically it had no economic legal right to the VMware subsidiary. It was issued out of Dell the whole co. So it's no different than really Dell shares anyway. So that, that discount made sense. And obviously, you know, Michael Dell bought that for a pretty big discount as well. And, you know, I should bring up EMC. That's a, that's a great question, really, because I owned EMC, I don't know, back in 2005, I want to say for a year or two. And it never really, I, th- I think I made a little money. I'm not really sure. But, you know, I kind of gave up thinking, I- I'm never going to get the value of VMware out of EMC, right? That's kind of the, that, that was always the knock. And maybe why people view this today is a name that should continue to have a big discount. I think the difference now, though, is that, you know, and, and, and two, like, as you mentioned, you know, have I, you know, talking to, I did talk to like a VMware sales guy and a Dell salesperson. And so the way it works is Dell salespeople actually sell a lot of VMware products. The Dell Salesforce is huge. The VMware Salesforce is much smaller. So there's obviously kind of strategic reasons to keep them together, right? <clears throat> Including EMC. EMC sells the hardware and VMware is the software that goes on it. So Definitely, there's a lot of thought, well, they never really can split these up. I think the difference, though, is that Michael Dell owns you know, 54% of, of, of Dell Technologies, right? And if they do a spinoff, he'll actually own 40% of VMware. And you could also, and, and with Silver Lake in the picture, owning another kind of 20% of Dell, these are really smart guys. And they were smart enough to figure out how to pick up DVMT from, from those holders at a very large discount. And the, the good news is we're actually now on the same side of the negotiating table with, with Michael Dell and, and Silver Lake. Uh, so that's a difference. Uh, but I, I really think these guys are very, very smart and they're going to figure out a way to realize this value, right? And so I, I, my suggestion or my kind of thought, and this is purely speculation, honestly, but they could set up a, a, a you know a marketing, uh, a marketing agreement of some kind that was 30 years long. There could be a partial spin of the business Salesforce uh, individuals could be compensated for both, right? If you sell VMware product and Dell product, you get paid even if VMware is only 20% owned by Dell in you know, two and a half years. So I, I think you have some really smart players who are now on our side of the negotiating table that probably uh, have a good chance of making this work for you. It was interesting when we covered CrowdStrike a few weeks ago, one of the thing, one of the advantages that that company had was that Dell actually sells them as well. And so, yeah, I guess that's something when you try to just think of what is Dell, you think of the computers, but then like that they're this huge enterprise uh, computing company at this point, I think may- maybe that's part of it is this legacy perception. I want to get back to Michael Dell in a second, but the one of the things that also occurs to me is you sort of already talked about PCs, skinny margin business. We haven't really heard the death of the PC so much recently, but it's not considered a growth category. I think you pointed out that they're still managing to grow it, but it's not considered this really exciting industry. I'm curious what you think about the core businesses here for EMC and VMware. I know they have other stakes and other things going on, but Dell, but EMC on the one hand, they've got to deal with you know, they're, they're the way I understand their businesses on premises, hardware storage, like you said, that's something that would seem to be sort of threatened by c- cloud businesses that are growing s- server capacity and sort of on the cloud storage. And then on the other hand, VMware, it's a little bit, 
you know, seems to, like you said, to be a stronger business, but it's also not trading cheaply. And that sort of tenant of your thesis, I, I know this kind of contrasts with me saying, why not just OVMware? But right. uh, I'm just kind of curious how you think about those two, those two aspects of the story here, EMC's competitive pressures, and then also just VMware's valuation. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, the storage business at EMC, as you look at it, though, it's, it's really quite good. I mean, they they have a full array of of kind of next gen storage products, and they, they will say they they could cover you from the edge to the cloud, right? And a, and a full array of kind of storage devices. I, I think, in my view, I don't really see you know the depth of the PC is is kind of over. I think once cell phones became saturated, now people are buying PCs again, and the PC growth was, I think, up or I should say, you know, Dell. Uh, their, their computer business was up revenue-wise, like I think 10% last year. Well, the EMC storage business was was even better. It was up, I think, uh, 19% last year. So I think as, as guys are moving to the cloud, there's still a tremendous opportunity for EMC. And they're number one in storage. I mean, they have, you know, larger market share than than, um, than anybody else. So I, I like that business. It's a good business. And uh, I'm not, you know, I, there, there definitely will be kind of, Cycles, of course, refresh cycles with Windows can affect uh, PC buying and IT budgets can fluctuate and that can affect, you know, the EMC business and storage purchasing. So there will be ebbs and flows here. And, and look, last quarter, the storage business was down uh, in terms of revenue. I think it was down 10%. So, and that was apparently, according to the company anyway, weakness in China. And I think some of the tariff issues maybe weighed on Chinese buyers of, of some storage product, but I think that'll come back, honestly. And so it, it, over time, EMC has been a good business and, and I don't worry too much about it. Anyway, so I, I, did I get to all your questions there? Yeah, well, I, I kind of squeezed two together. So, yeah, so that addressed EMC on the VMware side. You feel confident that the valuation is reasonable, is something that they can continue to sustain. I mean, you said they own their segment, but you feel comfortable with given that's sort of the underpinning of a lot of your thesis, you feel comfortable with generally how it's valued? I do. And, and you know, in fact, as I, uh, as I modeled it, I used, I think, an eight and a half multiple of EBITDA. Cisco trades at 12. So uh, NetApp trades kind of eight-ish. So I think it could get as good a multiple as perhaps Cisco on a standalone basis. Um, hard to know. But I, I feel like I put enough kind of margin of safety in the value of it that I'm not too worried about a lot of downside. I, I, I don't think I've seen, you know, these names trade for much less than seven and a half times EBITDA. So I don't think there's a lot of valuation risk with DMC. Now with VMware, there is kind of the valuation risk. I think you were kind of bringing up, right. And, you know, VMware as a stock has traded pretty wide range. I'd say between 20 and 28 times earnings over the past, you know, five, six, seven years. And uh, it'll bounce around. I mean, look, they, they disappointed. VMware also disappointed in, in the first quarter. Uh, their numbers were fine. I think revenue was up 13% still, but they didn't beat and raise. They just beat. And I think people were looking for a raise. So the stock fell from $205 to $175. You know, it fell a good, what, 15% or so. So it will bounce around and there can be uh, some multiple compression perhaps if you're buying it at 24 today you could you know maybe it goes to 20 times so there should, should could be some some pullback but as i was kind of alluding to before i really think earnings are going to be in the 9 plus range in, in kind of you know in 3 to 4 years pretty pretty easily 
from 650 today. And so they, they could certainly uh, kind of grow into a valuation at 20 times very easily. And, and the stock, if it's flat in tiers and then they spin it off, you still have a lot of upside with Dell. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So let's go back to Michael Dell for a second, because you, you said we're on the same side and I understand just fundamentally that seems to be the big shift from past sort of shareholder interactions. But I guess there, there are two things that I view in the thesis that seem relevant to management decisions. One is that the company does have quite a bit of debt and their, your argument is that they're committed to paying it down. And then also whatever happens with VMware shares in the next two or three years. And I guess just, could you just go into this again about why, what, what gives you confidence, Michael Dell? I mean, I know, I understand the incentive alignment here, but just, I think a lot of listeners familiar with Carl Icahn essentially arguing against <laughs> Michael Dell at two different points. Like if right. Carl were, if Carl were, Uncle Carl were listening, what would your argument be of this time is different? You know, that's a great question too. He, I think he's not uh, universally liked in the investment community, right? I mean, he he bought Dell in 2013, I believe, when the stock was really beaten up and uh, the market was kind of beaten up. And I think he kind of stole it from guys. And I think back then, Icon fought against that deal. And uh, I'm not sure he got much more in value. Maybe he got an extra dollar. I'm not really sure. And he again fought against the you know, the class five DVMT conversion, which is the tracker stock being converted to Dell stock back in December, right? And he did actually extract a little more value there. I I forget, it was five or $10, but it was still a pretty big discount. So, you know, he he might be one that would be unhappy with Dell, but I mean, if you look at the holdings today, I mean, Carl Icahn owns 10 million shares of Dell. He's got a pretty big position in the stock. And I think that tells you something. I think he knows that Dell is a value creator. And he, you know, he grew Dell from when he was a very young, I don't know how old he was in 1983 when he launched Dell, but probably in his 20s. He grew Dell to be one of the biggest computer companies in the world, single-handedly, right? And then he has orchestrated kind of three deals that were super value enhancing for him. His incentives are to create value for himself. And I think shareholders got, you know, maybe the short end of that stick along the way, right? Look, he's been a fantastic manager. Uh, uh, one individual within Dell I spoke to has so much respect for Michael Dell. I think he is universally considered extremely talented within the company. And now that we're on the same side of the table, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm, I'm much more pleased uh, owning this. I didn't know DVMT, but I, I own Dell, D-E-L-L, ticker that is. So, and then kind of the last thing, just in terms of the next like couple of years, is there, there's not really a way he can, you know, take advantage of shareholders now that he's kind of on the same same page with us. You know, he could do, any management team could do things that aren't smart, right? Bad acquisitions, you know, levering up when they shouldn't, any number of things. And, I, you know, if you listen to these guys on their call, their, their number one priority is to pay down debt, right? So um, as you brought up the debt picture, it is, it on the surface, it looks very high. I mean, there's 50, 56 billion or so of, of gross debt. Now, some of that is from the financial service business. So there's receivables. You can completely offset that. That's about nine, nine billion. And there's another nine billion of cash, roughly speaking. So the net debt number that's the right number is around 36 billion. They, they kind of break that out for you, which is 
a pretty large number. I mean, EBITDA is around 10.8 billion this year, roughly speaking. So it's, you know, three and change times consolidated lever. And if you exclude VMware from that, because the debt, a lot of the debt's at the whole co and VMware's at the sub, you know, it's five. So five times on a debt to EBITDA basis is high, no doubt. Uh, but these guys have already, on their last call, they said they intend to pay down, you know, $4.8 billion of debt with free cash flow. I believe, and, and as I model this, and you can see this in my write-up uh, uh, on a detailed basis anyway, they should throw off about 5 to $6 billion of free cash flow uh, on an annual basis. So in two to three years, that $36 billion of debt gets taken down to 20 And if EBITDA grows from 10.8 to, say, 13 or 14, you're talking about a company that's you know 1.7 times left. You know, understand that their, their business model on a consolidated basis is – is it's a really high free cash flow business, even though some of the margins are skinny. Uh, I mean, on a ten point eight billion dollar EBITDA company, their capex number is is you know one point seven billion. And I consider any company where capex is less than ten percent of EBITDA to be a highly desirable type of business model, right? I mean, capex isn't five billion; it's only one point seven. So, a lot of free cash debt will be paid down. And when they pay down the debt, they will move back into investment grade land. And when they do that, I think they can maybe put a little debt at VMware and leave a little bit of debt at the parent where you have the EMC and, and the Dell core business, the PC business. And uh, you'll have a nicely, relatively clean balance sheet of both with maybe one and a half turns of leverage. So, I, you know, they've already said, stated they'll do that, and, and I believe I believe they will, and they've already done it. And in fact, between 2016, from when they bought EMC until the end of, of 2018, they paid down to 15 billion dollars of debt in two and a half years. So they have the track record to do it, and I think they'll do it again. Has there been talk yet of what they're going to do with VMware? Like, is that a con- common theme on the calls or anything that? Michael Dell has said, or is it still just because they can't really do anything until the five-year window expires? It hasn't come up much. That, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, the class five transaction just closed last December. So I think people are still, a lot of people don't even cover the just, you know, the sell side just picked up Dell technologies back in probably, you know, the spring. I saw a bunch of reports pop up, but um it's probably too early is my gut. And I think, when, but when you get to kind of early 2021, uh, I think you're probably going to, maybe even a year before, uh, you know, a few months before that, rather, you might hear some speculation, but it's probably early. It's probably early. And I think a lot of people say, hey, two years is a lifetime. I, I think there's a lot of people in our market who aren't, aren't patient investors. So it does require a little patience here to wait till then. But, uh, yeah, no, the company hasn't directly addressed it, no. Right. You go on, you go seeking alpha, you can see this, but also on Twitter or whatever else, the people who, on the one hand, quote Warren Buffett or whomever else, and on the other hand, talk about daily market moves and wonder why <laughs> their stock is up or down 3%. Right, right, so, right. That's funny. So, so the, the sum of the parts stuff here, I, I, I have a cu- couple sort of, questions around this like what what makes it so that they work or that they don't work what because they are i think there's a bit of a reputation around some of the parts that it often leads to overthinking and there's not a catalyst or whatever else and so i'm curious what you think about that the the example that i i think i emailed you about as we were preparing was 
it's different, obviously, but the Yahoo Alibaba shares, which I didn't do the math on whether that ended up working out in the end, but if it feels like it didn't work as a great trade ultimately. I'm just curious what 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 distinguishes a good some of the parts you've had success here? What makes that a good situation versus what can go wrong with that sort of thesis? You know, I, I, my memory is a little stretched. I looked at that Yahoo trade a while back. And if I remember, though, a sale of that stake would, would entail pretty large taxes. So I remember doing the math and thinking I could get yeah. it kind of 10% cheap at, on an after-tax basis. But I didn't really – and I never invested in it, honestly. So that can certainly be – the taxes can certainly be a problem, right? And – that's why here they can't do a, a spinoff for, for a couple of years till September 2021, right? So, but that can be uh, solved. That problem can be solved. Um, I, you know, I, I've seen it some some of the parts theses that don't work, and they're just you know, and you could argue that EMC was kind of one of them. You just didn't have a catalyst, as you said, to realize the value. Mm-hmm. You need a management team that is incented to create that value, and you know, as I mentioned, Silver Lake will most undoubtedly be very, very incented to make sure that they realize the full value of some of the parts, right? Um, and in fact, they invested in this in 2013, and I noticed they had owned it in one fund that was already kind of toward the end of its life. So they transferred it to another fund. But generally, these funds last 10 to 15 years. So if you're talking about a, right. you know an investment in 2013, they'll want to monetize that probably within 10 years of that date. So yeah, I think I think you need the catalyst, and I think you have to do the work on the taxes. That's probably a pretty important part of it. Is that so? Something that one of one of the pro editors brought to me, having reviewed your article as part of publishing, is that once something that stands out from this thesis is the incentives argument, and and I don't remember if you had made that point about the private equity. Uh, you know, and that sort of window they have for monetizing, but then obviously Michael Dell and just being on the same side as him. Do you feel like that's in this day and age where it's so easy to, or I don't know if it's easy, but you have so many funds running quant quant approaches and you can just see sort of, this is a cheap multiple. And that's kind of arbed out a lot of those classic quantitative approaches of, you know, Walter Schloss or whatever, or Ben Graham. Is that, do you feel that this sort of incentive work is a frequent thing that you can find to get a step ahead of what what a programmatic approach can take? Or is this something that you commonly look for? Or did it just happen to stand out in this case because the the value the value still is pretty low even in the first place and then you add in the No, I, 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 that's, that's a critical factor. In fact, if you listen to Warren Buffett, like I do and all of us do, and you mentioned him before, he talks about, you know, whatever, if you follow the incentives, you'll probably follow the actions, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, management teams that generate huge, just cash comp, they just want to like grow an empire, right? So that they have a stable business. But if you're paid on a per share basis, I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, and here it's funny because I almost put this in the article and it's, I'm glad you brought it up. I didn't, uh, um, but I was talking to one of my colleagues and I said, what do you think Michael Dell got paid last year in, in comp for being, you know, mm. a CEO of a $75 billion company or whatever, right? And he said, I don't know, $20 million. Right. I said, no, $3.6 million in total comp, which is obviously a lot of money, but he owns $20 billion of stock in Dell, right? So, and if he spins out, you know, VMware, he'll own $30 billion of VMware stock. So 
I think his incentives are very aligned with ours. He is he cares about growing his net worth. His comp is a drop in the bucket. So, and I like that about the story. I really can't comment on what uh, the quant guys do. I, I you know I use quant uh, type uh, work for screening purposes sometimes, but uh, I, I still believe that if you dig in and do the work, that's the best way to kind of make money. But um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think the incentives here are. Are, are pretty solid for you as a C class So, so uh, you sort of uh, this isn't quite related, but it, it, the way you were saying, not sure what other people are doing. One of the things definitely this played out with DVMT, and I don't remember exactly what the end result is, but there were a lot of people I think running that pair trade with VMware, and that's something you sort of turned down, and you argue that that's not really. Oh, worth it. Just how, how do you think you, you said, for example, potential short squeeze? How did you think about that aspect? You know, the idea would be for listeners, the idea would be to hedge out if VMware's valuation is one of the risks of the thesis, you short VMware so that at least you're not stuck with, like, in the end, you just get the core Dell for, for the discount it's already trading at. So, how, how did you think right. about that? Uh, you know, I, I don't do a lot of shorting, uh, honestly, and I, I call these tricky trades, um, really, personally. Um, you can certainly try to capture that discount. Uh, and, and I checked the short interest in VMware is about 10%. So it is relatively high, but it's not crazy high like Tesla or something. And mm-hmm. uh, But, you know, I, I, I've seen cases where, and I don't know if you've ever looked, it's, this is definitely worth looking up, but in, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I think in 2008, you know, Porsche bought Volkswagen and there was a limited float. Right. And that stock literally went from like a hundred euros to like 900 euros per share within like a few weeks. And I remember watching it being like, this is unbelievable. These hedge funds are getting destroyed. So you could certainly get hurt very badly if, if it doesn't work for you. And I, I just wouldn't want to, it's, it's a risk I don't want to take. And, and like I said before, I'm happy being kind of long to be long VMware at a discount because as I said, VMware is an awesome business. It, it generates a ton of cash. And I, I I don't want to be short great businesses, right? So, you know, I'll take the volatility. I don't think uh, – Dell and VMware kind of track you – you can watch a trade. They, they track each other fairly closely. So, you know, there is an argument that you can just capture spread. But in a short squeeze, it, it could go against you pretty, pretty painfully. It's – I feel like that I wasn't – paying attention to the markets when that Porsche Volkswagen story happened. But that seems like a story that somebody should go back and just kind of do an oral history of or or a podcast or something like break. Because I feel like everybody talks about that as the example of what right, can go right. wrong. With I remember watching it. It was unbelievable. I think the market cap of, of, of Volkswagen exceeded like Exxon for a while. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and that's what's, I think that's what's just interesting about hedging in general is on the one hand, it, makes sense you want to you want to risk adjusted or you want to have success in all markets but a case like this where your thesis is in large part that vmware is the crown jewel to then go short it to protect you know it it, it almost gets a little too cute like you were saying yeah and, and, and you know part of me too I, I didn't do the work on this right when it came out and i kind of regretted that when it, when when dell went to 70 dollars I thought I, I, I had read, you know, a piece of Barron's and I, I knew that some of ours was high, but I hadn't done the work yet. And so I was actually happy that it, it fell back to, you know, the low fifties, 
you know, after they reported Q1 numbers in uh, what I think like late uh, late May, early June, it got me a chance to get in. And, and I think the point is, if you can find a good entry point when a stock pulls back, that's a good company. That to me is a better hedge than trying to be long short. Right. Right. Well, and it's just it's sort of if you're thinking about punch card investing or what, like if you have conviction, you sort of want to express that conviction and hopefully your work is good enough to, to right. back it up. And you need some patience. Right. For sure. So maybe that sort of sets up a, a last question here, which is just, you know, we, we sort of alluded to at the beginning, you're looking at starting a, a marketplace service, you're calling it free cash flow compounders is I think what you're targeting as a name. And I'm just curious, a name like Dell, how, how does that come on your radar? How does it fit into your style? Like what are the beyond, you know, we talked about the discount, we talked about the attractive business here, but just kind of what are the general things that you take from this case that are worth, I, as a trivial example, I really liked what you said about EBIT uh, CapEx ratio as kind of a nice way, but like, what are other things that stand out about this story that, that got you interested in the first place and that led you sure, to Sure, sure. Great question. And, and just to kind of, as an aside, uh, you know, back in early May when the market fell 6% that month, I, I, it, 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 I think a lot of people view the market to be end of cycle. And so what I, I, I thought I would do is really kind of, and, and I've been doing this for over 20 years, so I've been doing this a long time, and a lot of stocks I just kind of know is, hey, this is a great business. This is not a great business. And like you pointed out, if, if CapEx is under 10% of EBITDA, these are, these are just usually high free cash flow businesses. And when companies generate a lot of cash, they could do great things with that, right? They could, if they're stocks, they could buy more stock, if they could buy you know, other companies, if management's good, they can buy them at attractive, uh, you know, values. Is usually if they're in a business that generates that much free cash, they're looking for other businesses that generate that much free cash. So, so there's a kind of compounding. And so back in May, what I did was I, I went and I, I screened through literally like 5,000 companies, some just through screening, but I went personally through like every company in SP 500 and NASDAQ 100. And a lot of them I just know because I've been doing this a long time. This is not a great business. Look at Exxon's EBITDA versus their CapEx. It's not very attractive and it's very cyclical. These companies don't generate a lot of free cash. I, I don't I don't need so I kicked out all these kind of like low free cash businesses and I focused on ones that were very steady and, and ones that had honestly grown earnings faster than the market. And I picked a 15 year time frame. I said, okay, what companies have grown earnings per, on a per share basis over eight percent over the last fifteen and five years, right? And so I got this list and then I went through them and, you know, I kind of carved out a few and, I, and I've, I've narrowed it down to about a hundred stocks and VMware was one of those stocks. So, and, and I also have kind of a mathematical approach to like, okay, these are great companies. Where's my entry point, right? I want to look for some reason to get involved. And so how does Dell fit into my investing approach? Well, the VMware business is in that top 100, right? I mean, it's compounded earnings at, 19% over 15 years, which is incredible when you think about it. They have a near monopoly in their business, right? And generate piles of free cash. And they never do acquisitions. They don't need to. They own the market, right? So it, it fits into all the kind of criteria I want. And also one of the criteria was that, that a company didn't lose money in 2008 or 9 or 10, right? When the Great Recession happened. Because if, you know, if we're one or two years away from the next recession, I want companies that are going to continue to be profitable. And so only the profitable companies made that list. So it's pretty rigorous analysis. And, and so Dell itself wouldn't necessarily fit into that because, you know, the computer business probably struggled a little bit back then, but 
the VMware business fits perfectly in with you know these compounders and and what I want to own. And honestly, my best investments have been ones I bought and put away and didn't look at for years. Uh, those are the ones that I know compound earnings. And uh, those will be some of my next articles and, and where we can talk about that on the next podcast uh, or one at a time. But that's the, that's the kind of, you know, uh, that's basically the marketplace value I want to add is finding these great companies at the right entry point and saying, here, buy this. And you can own this for a long time. And it's going to be a great stock for you. Yeah, that's uh, happy to happy to have you on when we get those future articles. I think that'd be fun. Let me just, you, you, I wanted to ask just the last thing is about the entry points. You're talking, is that a, is there any technical analysis involved? Is it just something like this where there was a pullback or like what, when you think of entry points, is it just that the margin of safety is high enough? How do you think about that? Uh, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a great question because there's no great answer, right? I've looked at it a couple of ways. I mean, one is to say, and, and, and you can so much stuff on Bloomberg. It's, it's amazing. I thankfully I have it, but I've looked at PE ratios, high and low standard deviation over the last seven years is one way I looked at it. And I said, okay, this stock trades, let's just take whatever stock XYZ trades at 15 times earnings on average the last few years. Here's the range. Now, when you get to one and a half standard deviations below that kind of standard range, you're in the cheapest 15% of the time that it's, that it's cheap, right? So I'm not a big technician. I'm not a real believer in that stuff. Maybe you can uh, find technicians who make money, but I don't know any billionaire technicians, right? I know a lot of billionaire value investors. So I think that's the way to go in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, there's certainly, in my mind, the entry point is to find... Babies had a little bit of bad news, and JP Morgan's a great example because you know I wrote that up in, in 2012 or 13 when the whale losses happened, the stock went to 34 bucks. I bought a bunch of shares, and mm-hmm. Jamie Dimon's probably the best CEO in the world. I still own it today, and it, it's now 112 or something. And uh, what what a great way to just own a great company that had some bad news. It was temporary bad news, so I'm really looking for that setup where I get that margin of safety where the stock falls. And, um, and I can create an entry point. So that's what I'll also be looking at with the service very carefully. Okay. All right. That's yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, we so often think of entry point tied with technical analysis, but it's nice to hear other ways of thinking about it, whether it's the statistical stuff or like you said, the temporary news. So, uh, all right, Tom, this was great. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on and best of luck with the thesis here with Dell. I guess we've got a We've got a couple years to wait for it, but sounds like it should be an interesting story to watch play out. I, I hope so. Well, thanks very much for having me. I, I appreciate uh, the time. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much, Tom. Okay. Have a good one. Talk to you. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com. If you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. We're going to cover Walgreens again next week with an expert guest, so stay tuned to that. Then after that, Mike should be back, and Behind the Idea will be running on all of you. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next week on Behind the Idea.